Let's play a game of word association. What's the first thing that comes into your mind when I say the word technology? It's probably the phrase, that's a good thing. Okay, how about if I say the word spider? Your answer to this will probably be, that's a bad thing, or a word like evil, scary or man. But what if I was to tell you that technology, which you love so much, actually shares a lot in common with the hated spider? We're surrounded by them both at all times, and yet we have no idea how they work. Technology moves very fast, and so do spiders relative to their size. Technology often involves the web. And, if you don't understand technology or approach it in the right way, it can bite you, hard, just like some spiders. When it's put that way, I bet you're thinking of changing your word association of technology to just as scary, if not even scarier, than spiders. Welcome to series two of Joe Bates Explains It All, a series of guides written by me, Joe Bates, based around explaining difficult concepts, and the first couple of guides in this series are about technology. Technology is exciting and cool, but it's also terrifying. Several times during the making of this podcast, I tried to abandon it to work on some of the less frightening guides coming up, like Joe Bates explains how to write the perfect CV, and Joe Bates explains how to pickle fruits and vegetables. But unfortunately for me, I no longer have full creative control over this podcast. Last November, I floated Joe Bates Explains It All on the stock market to raise money to buy some new jeans. The majority shareholders told me that I had to do something juicy for the premiere episode to pull in the punters. And since I wasn't prepared to go with their suggestion, which was a guide called Joe Bates Explains How to Pick Up Hot Chicks, I said I would do the technology guide instead. There are so many questions about technology. Are robots going to take over? Are we watching the TV? Or is the TV watching us? What's the best phone? It's impossible to cover every single aspect of technology in one 20 minute guide. So I'm going to do it in two 20 minute guides. Next week, we'll have Joe Bates Explains Robots. But this week, it's Joe Bates Explains Data. We'll discuss the history of data, why we should be extremely worried about sharing our personal data, and why really we should just chill out about sharing our personal data. But I know what you're thinking, Joe, what is data and why are you talking about it so much? Well, after this musical burst, I'm going to answer both of those questions and about six more. Part 1. What is data? Data is a topic that's both extremely important and very dull at the same time. Any explanation I give you will be tedious, even if I do it in a sexy voice or add a lot of unnecessary swearing. So instead of giving you a dry and technical introduction to data, I'm going to use something exciting and fun to explain it. So let's explain data using a story about dating. Picture the scene. You're on a date with someone and it's going great. 
The chemistry is off the charts. You're both laughing your heads off at every single joke and observation you make. You like this person, and judging by the way they're looking at you, with a sort of leering, slightly creepy gurn, they like you too. The date's about to finish, but the night can't end here. So you look at the person, gather up your confidence and ask the big question. Will you have sex with me tonight please? The person puts their hand on their chin, squints their eyes and says the word hmm to indicate thought. After a pause which seems to last an eternity, they reply yes, I am able to do that. Overjoyed, you stand up from your table and punch the air in celebration. But your date isn't finished what they're saying. But in exchange they say, I want all of your data. You're taken aback and explain to them that you've only got 2GB a month and you need that really to look at memes and GIFs. The person smiles and says, no, not your mobile data, you silly little thing. I want your personal data. I want to know who your friends are, what music you play, what websites you go on, where you shop, what you buy. I want to know where you are all day, every day. Do you agree to these terms and conditions? Sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? Well, it's not. I'd be willing to bet that you've had this exact exchange many times. But instead of being at a table with this beautiful stranger, you're at a table with Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Daniel Ek of Spotify, Kevin Systrom of Instagram. And instead of asking them all whether they'll have sex with you, you're asking them whether they can help you contact your friends, help you share your photos, give you free access to banging tunes and podcasts? Their answer is always the same. We can grant you all of these things, but we want something in return. Your soul. By which we mean all of your personal data. Essentially, these people are spying on us and following us around. What's wrong with that, you might ask? Surely it's quite flattering that people are taking an interest but there's actually a lot of problems with us sharing all this personal data. And it's not just me saying this, it's people from the past. Part two, the history of data. We can learn a lot about technology and how it's used by the writings of the author George Orwell. Two books in particular. The novel 1984, which was published in 1949, and his final novel, Evil Robot Catastrophe, which was never published. We'll come back to Evil Robot Catastrophe in the next podcast, but first let's talk about 1984. Set in a dystopian world where people are watched all the time, it's a hugely influential, prescient book. It invented the concepts of Big Brother, of Room 101, and through its main character, came up with the male name Winston, which proved such a smash that the wartime leader Glenn Churchill changed his name to it after reading the blurb. The book was, and is, incredibly popular. It was the Harry Potter or Fifty Shades of Grey of its time, but it wasn't magical or sexy. In fact, it's actually got quite a downbeat, negative tone. 
The main character, Winston, never really gets on board with being followed around all the time, and essentially spends the whole book mourning about it. Nevertheless, it sold millions of copies and holds a 4.15 out of 5 rating on Goodreads.com, with Goodreads user Stephen saying it's unquestionably the most memorable and, bold capital letters, most disturbing vision of a world gone mad, mad crossed out, utterly batshit psycho I have ever experienced, ever, three exclamation marks. Now I know what you're thinking, why am I going on about a stupid old book in a podcast about data? Well many people see 1984 as more than a book, they see it as a vision of the future. When the novel was published, the idea that our every move could be watched and tracked seemed preposterous. The smallest camera on the market was the size of a shed and required four people to carry, so you could easily get away from it just by entering a building with a normal sized door. But while 1984 has to be considered a failure, because George Orwell was 34 years off with his prediction, advancements in technology have meant that part of his vision have come true in 2018. Cameras are now much smaller, and surveillance cameras are everywhere, following your every move. But actually, as it's turned out, it's not the surveillance cameras that George Orwell should have been worried about. For one thing, it's easy to get around them by wearing a disguise or never leaving the house. And for a second, We've actually happily agreed to be under surveillance all the time by sharing our personal data through these little things. And when I say these little things, I'm pointing at a mobile phone. Part 3. Why we should be really worried about how we share our personal data. You've probably got loads of apps on your phone that follow you around all day, every day, because you share your GPS location data with them. Maybe you've got one that counts the number of steps you take every day whilst it's following you around. Is it right to give up our privacy, give up our right to ever be truly alone, just to find out how many calories we burn getting off a bus two stops early? It's hard to say. Judging by his writing, George Orwell would actually have been okay with it. In Homage to Catalonia, his book about the Spanish Civil War, he touches on this very subject. In chapter 3 he writes, Practically every building of any size has been seized. Every wall is scrawled with a hammer and sickle. I'm hungry, I'm under the constant threat of violence, and worst of all, I'm clearly smashing my target of 10,000 steps per day, but I've got no way of recording it. This is truly a crap war. Unlike Orwell in Catalonia, where counting his number of steps out loud would have given his location away to enemies and got him shot, maybe we'd be wise to do this. Because who knows who's watching on the other side of these apps. I've got a running app on my phone that takes my GPS location data. It's very useful to see where the time it takes me to run up my road ranks amongst my neighbours without ever having to talk to them. Once I was in the top 10 fastest people to run up it that day, and that felt amazing. But is it worth it? The app is in many ways worse than a step counting app because it actually publishes where I'm running to and from online so anyone can see it. 
It'd be simple for you to work out where I live and where I work using this app. So if you don't like this podcast and think it's a step down from series one, you could very easily find me and kill me. There's also the constant worry that one of my neighbours will look at the app, see that my times up the road are getting faster and faster, and break my legs, Tonya Harden style, so I don't threaten their position on the leaderboard. If you want to use one of these apps, you've just got to accept living in fear all of the time. Maybe it's no surprise that apps that count your number of steps, or how fast you're running, take your GPS location data. But many more apps are following us around without a clear reason. Spotify is a good example. It's easy to see why people love Spotify. It's got loads of music, it's very cheap, and it doesn't pay the musicians very much, which is great because the best art comes from struggle. But as well as all your personal data, Spotify actually tracks you whilst you're walking around. Why does something that's just a music player need to do this? The chief executive of Spotify, Daniel Ek, tried to play down the issue, saying that every type of music player, from CD Walkmans to turntables, have always been interested in what their owners are up to, and Spotify is just the first one to have the technology to be able to do it. Maybe he's right, but it's very possible that the real reason is something much more sinister. It might just be that these apps and these companies are not taking our personal data just because they're curious or taking a healthy interest. There's lots of evidence that our personal data is helping them gain money and power. Facebook is the prime example. Facebook's completely free and when you look at Mark Zuckerberg, that seems to add up. He dresses like shit. He looks like a man who stupidly decided not to charge anything for a popular product and is now poor. But in my research for this show, I found out that actually he's very rich. How did he manage that? Well him and all of his super rich pals did it by selling our personal data to advertisers, corporations and in some cases political movements. What's the problem with that you might ask? A man's got to make a living hasn't he? Well, on its own, it's not a problem at all. It's not like we're doing anything with the data ourselves, so someone might as well take it and do something useful with it. But as the recent Cambridge Analytica scandal has shown, owning and selling people's data gives people and organisations great social and political power which could be abused. It's obviously all fine now, because all of the corporations and political parties that buy our data are very moral and would only use this power for good. But what if an evil political party or bad corporation gets hold of it? Well the consequences could be dire. They would be able to track everything you do, follow you around, know all the music that you listen to and undermine you by pointing out embarrassing things you used to like. They'd be in complete control. It'd be like 1984 on acid. Impossible to read properly, but definitely very frightening. Now that sounds very bad, and it is likely to be already happening. You're probably now thinking of deleting all your apps, throwing your phone into the sea, and driving off as fast as you can. 
but you shouldn't, especially if you're listening to this on your phone because I've still got a couple of paragraphs of material left, and also because there's actually not one, but two silver linings to this whole personal data thing. Part 4. Why you shouldn't worry at all about anything I just said. Reason 1. You're in control. Remember, you have control over what you share and what personal data you give out. A lot of people fought back against Facebook over the whole Cambridge Analytica thing by deleting their Facebook account, and that's one option. I didn't do that, but I have been fighting back against Facebook over the last couple of years by not doing anything interesting with my life whatsoever. I've not been going to many events, not appearing in any photos, and I'm not hitting any personal milestones, basically so I give Facebook nothing to work with. And it's been successful. My 2017 Facebook Year in Review montage video was me voting in the general election and changing my password twice, set to sentimental music. It's comforting to me to know that when Facebook sold my personal data, they probably had to throw in a free pen to sweeten the deal. You can adopt all sorts of these tactics. Listen to music you don't actually like on Spotify. Running to and from someone else's house when you're using a running app so anyone tracking you ends up stalking the wrong person, and so on. By making your own personal data completely rubbish and boring, you're showing these companies that you won't play their game and you're significantly reducing the resale value of your private information. Reason 2. The apps are so good that it's actually worth giving up your privacy for them. Let's face it, all of these apps are great. If George Orwell had known about all the great things we get for giving up our privacy, 1984 would definitely have been a more upbeat book. Facebook has given us the ability to reminisce about good times that have happened on this exact day in previous years, in a way older generations could only dream of. GPS tracking apps help us show off how much movement we do to interested strangers, and also through things like Google Maps, we never have to learn the locations or names of any roads, towns or countries or speak to anyone who lives in them. And best of all is Spotify. I was recently lying in bed listening to an album and when the album finished, Spotify made the most beautiful mix that anyone has ever made for me. Everything was perfect, it was like it was looking into my soul and no one ever gets my music taste. My mum recently bought me the Jeff Buckley album Grace on vinyl and it was like, Jesus Christ mum, I haven't listened to that sort of thing in 15 years, I'm into ambient techno now. She hadn't been paying attention at all, but Spotify was different. It was like the first time in my life that I'd ever been understood, that anyone had even tried to understand me. I was immediately so happy that Spotify had taken all my personal data to help make this mix. I actually wanted to give it more of my data. I sent them an email with details of all the places I'd been before downloading the app. And really, if these apps can give us something as good as that mix, I'd be happy with the odd Cambridge Analytica style scandal, and so should you be. So that's the subject of data sorted. Uh, it turns out it's not actually as scary as I made out. 
Sorry if you feel like you've been deceived, but if I had said at the beginning that it wasn't very scary, you probably wouldn't have listened. But I'm not deceiving you when I say that one thing definitely is scary, and that's the rise of the robots. They're going to take your job, they're going to take your girlfriend, and there's nothing you can do to stop them, apart from listening to Joe Bates Explains Robots, the second in my guide to technology. That'll be coming out next week on iTunes and SoundCloud, so keep an eye out for that. I've been Joe Bates, and thank you for listening to me explain it all about data.